Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good to see you this morning. Hey, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 2. I know some of you are saying, we've been in James chapter 2. There's just a lot of good stuff in James chapter 2. And so we're going to recycle some of it this morning. Uh, while you're finding your way there, I just want to tell you uh, something that took place this week. Um, I went into a hospital room to visit a young man named Joshua, who's 19. He's battling leukemia. And um, the lights were all out, so I actually went and found a nurse, and she said he just kind of keeps it that way because it, it just helps him. She said he's not necessarily sleeping. She said, i got to go in there anyway, so I'll, I'll check and make sure. So she did, and he was, he was awake. Um, but I went in, and the first thing that when I got there, he said we, we exchanged you know, a greeting, and he just pointed to his door, um, his bathroom door. And on his bathroom door, his bathroom door was filled with handmade cards that River Kids from River Bluff Church did. And he just started rattling off what they said and the names of the kids who had created them for him because he was so overwhelmed by the expressions of love from our River Kids. And so he, he told me, he said, you got to make sure they know. And so I, I went in the first service at the beginning of it and shared with the kids that were in there thanking them because Joshua said, you got to tell them thank you. And, uh, and, and so I did. Um, they're changing lives, one life at a time, just the way they're loving and ministering and serving, um, right back there in that room. While, while we're meeting in here. And it, it was just, it was a, a great encouraging thing. I let them know how proud I was of them, how thankful to God I was for the way they lead the way in ministry around here so often. And um, so when you see our River Kids, just thank them. They're, they're changing the world. They're making a difference. Now, James, that we're going to look at this morning, knows something about us. And he knows that one of the biggest problems that's yours and mine uh, is people problems, getting along with others. We don't always play nice in, in our sandboxes, do we? And so James addresses that in a pretty powerful way this morning. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 2, we're going to read, we're going to recycle verses 1 through 7, but then we're going to continue on um, into uh, verse 13. James writes these words. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you said to the poor man, you stand over there, or just sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom which has, he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the one who drags you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced by the law or, or convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray again. Lord, we, we come and sit before your word. And we want to sit under it, not over it. We want it to have rule over our hearts and minds, to judge the intent of our heart, to judge the words that form in our minds 
So we come, Holy Spirit, asking you to take the word of God, that word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, that word that can cut into the depths of our souls and cut us where we need to be cut so that we might receive healing from you in that area of our life that needs to be transformed. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this space with us today. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, today we're going to get real practical. Last week, we got kind of a little theological maybe, and we said that what we addressed last week really was the foundational work from which every kind of command, every kind of precept that James is going to give us is built upon. And he gives us some incredible teachings. He gives us some incredible, uh, helpful, what I'll call life-on-life direct application to real life. And we want to dive into one of those this morning. And James is really going to show us um, ways that we can get along better with people. And he's going to start with this kind of gospel precept, if you would. And then he's going to show us uh, the, the problem that plagues our souls, and then he's going to prescribe uh, kind of a remedy, something very, very precise. So if you will, look at verse 8 with me again. We read this a moment ago, uh, this time out of NIV. It says this, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So James is going to show us today what it looks like to do right by other people rooted in Jesus' message of love, the gospel message of love that comes from Jesus. So James is launching us, if you would, right out of the gate with a gospel precept, and he simply says this, show no favoritism. Show no favoritism. Some translations read show no partiality. And again, this is kind of in command mode. It's a a directive. He's saying, live this way. Um, Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Just don't do it. Now, for future reference, as you're reading through the book of James, you're going to see him begin some paragraphs, if you would, with a statement like, my brothers. When you see that, The hammer's coming. He's about to nail you and nail me on some area of life where we need to make some change. We need to grow in the Lord. And today, it has to do with partiality. It has to do with prejudices that form in our hearts. It has to do with favoritisms. New Living Translation kind of points this out by asking a provocative question. Look at uh, James 2.1 in New Living. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor other people? Some people over others. It's just a powerful question, not, not just hypothetical. This is James coming right at our, our hearts with that, that hammer seeking to pull something out of us. How can you claim to have faith in Jesus? How can we say that Jesus is our Lord if we're living a life that's showing favoritism to certain people, certain groups of people? And the answer, quite frankly, is you can't. It it can't be done. Those two pursuits, pursuing a life where you're showing partiality and favoritism, have a prejudice, is mutually exclusive from the pursuit of faith in Jesus. And we talked about in in detail last week how the ESV translated this thing, this deal with partiality or or prejudice, having to do with robbing the Lord of his glory. Look at James 2.1 in ESV. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the Lord of glory. You can't can't hold up the glory of Jesus. You can't lift his name high while at the same time living this life that's rooted in prejudice. I love the way J.B. Phillips translates this verse. It makes it very plain and simple. He says this, do not, and he's paraphrasing here, do not or don't ever attempt, my brothers, to combine snobbery with faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's just straight up. Don't be a snob. You know, don't, don't look at people with your eyes turned down on them and your nose turned up. Don't be a snob. You know, don't be somebody who thinks you're better than 
others in any capacity. Now, the, the language here, the original language, the Greek words here literally mean don't, don't receive somebody uh, at, at, at face value. It says it's, it's a compound word to receive and to face. So he's saying don't do that. Don't just come and accept somebody at face value. Don't have these superficial judgmental attitudes towards people. James says don't do that. Don't live that way. Today's English version says, never treat anybody in a different way according to their outward appearance. And friends, this is, this is a social disease. It's, it's epidemic in our world. And this morning, to help us think a little more comprehensively about this, I just want to run through five. There are many, many more, but I just want to run through what I think of are some of the five most prominent ways this happens in our world today. These partiality spaces that kind of preside over parts of our hearts. The first is appearance. We, we demonstrate our partiality or our favoritism uh, towards people based simply on their appearance. Even, even today, even though things have changed a little bit, there's still so much that has to do with how people look. You know, it just too much is, is built on that. We judge people based on their appearance, how they look, how they dress. I, I remember years ago reading about a sociology experiment. Um, the college students were having to do this paper, this project, and they decided to kind of deal with the is issue, and they, they wrote up their theory, and they theorized that people would pick up hitchhikers who dress better. And so they set the stage, and sure enough, they found out that it was true, the better dressed hitchhiker. Now, I'm not advocating that you start picking up people beside the road. I'm just... That's up to you and the Lord. But um, it was just a study that was done, and they, they, they proved their point. It, it became true based on the number of times they, they, they cycle through this. And that's based on a quick judgment. How quickly do you judge somebody immediately simply by the way they look? If they have tattoos everywhere or piercings in places that you could not have imagined or come in in a kind of a gothic clothing style we immediately go to these things in our minds judging people immediately and it's so easy for every Christian to get caught up in this even even caught up in it so that we try to use our outward appearance to kind of manage what people think about us we dress for power or success or to be cool and accept it see we we, we can easily get concerned more with things that you know what's hot and what's not than we are with with people it's easy to fall over into that you know now I get that there are appropriate kind of dress codes for places of business and work and, and all that. But I'm talking about in public, in styles that are out there. Do you immediately judge a person's dignity and their value and their worth by their first appearances? Another place where prejudice shows up very quickly is ancestry. We, we judge people according to their race, their their nationality, their, their ethnic background. Many years ago, uh, I, I remember hearing a story about a black man who visited a predominantly white church, and he was obviously not welcome, just, just wasn't welcomed. And it was kind of known in town that this particular church was filled with bigots. And this, this man, after the service, went to the pastor and talked to him about it. And the, the pastor said, well, you just need to pray about it. And so uh, the man ran into the pastor about three weeks later. And the, the pastor asked him, he said, well, now, as you've prayed about this, what, what has God said to you? And he said, well, God said to me that he'd been having problems getting in that church for 20 years, too. I shouldn't feel bad. Now, as slightly humorous as that might be, it points out a dark truth about the people of God at times. Even about this church. I remember being in a prayer meeting where a member of this church stood up and asked God to forgive the corporate sin of this church 
for having not been accepting to a black man when he visited the first time. I remember that. And we, we stopped and we prayed and we publicly confessed that sin. And, and God brought a lot of healing. But that was rooted in prejudice and, and partiality. And God says there's no place for that in and among my people. How do you form opinions about people based on the color of their skin, their ancestry, without ever knowing their personal story? Maybe, maybe let me flavor it this way for us today. When you hear about immigrants coming to America, what happens in your mind, in your heart? Not never, ever knowing an individual story, but you're grouping them all together. Now, please hear me say, I get there are legal issues. But where does your mind go towards those people? Another area of discrimination in our day is age discrimination. Age discrimination, and it, it goes both ways. It's rapidly growing in our culture. And one of the ways that I know that it's rapidly growing in our culture is it has become a major conversation piece in the politics of our day. Brothers and sisters, you need to be careful how you engage those conversations. Be careful how you do that. Is there prejudice in your heart based on age? Another area is achievement. Our society gushes over, you know, those who have made it, those, those who are winners, and we kind of forget the losers, you know. It takes one news cycle to go from hero to zero in our culture to get kind of canceled. And one of the heartbreaking places to me is where this consciousness has seeped in is in the church. We've, we've developed a celebrity culture in the church celebrity pastors celebrity churches and you know what comes with that expectations expectations of being seen differently and thought of differently and it it's it's tearing at the heart of god and one of the things that it leads to and you've seen this is a great fall and it is a blight on the witness of Christ in our day. And James warns against us. And then there's the very specific one that James uses as his illustration for this larger issue, and it's affluence. It's probably the one that we make the most common distinction over, judging people by, you know, the size of their bank accounts or what they drive or what they wear, those kinds of things. You know, what, what attitude do you have about those who economically or more advantaged than you or maybe the question you need to ask is what attitude do you have towards those who are less advantaged than you that goes both ways you know how does that flow in your heart of all the areas of partiality that James could have pulled out this was the example he chose to use because it's an area that we all often discriminate in and James picks it to highlight. And so in verse 2, he sets up this really interesting kind of scenario. And he basically says, two strangers show up at the same church one day. They both come, come to church. And the way we know they're strangers is because they didn't know where to sit. Somebody had to go show them where they needed to sit. And so the first guy walks in, and he's dripping with all kind of wealth. And, you know, and everybody knows this guy doesn't really fit in the New Testament church because the New Testament church was mostly in poverty. Many of the slaves got saved and came to saving knowledge of Jesus and made up the church. And so when this guy walks in, we talked about this last week, golden-fingered, meaning he had jewelry on, on his fingers and in, in fine clothes. You know, you can go back and read that later. One of the things that we notice, and please pay attention to this, James does not criticize this guy for being wealthy. He, he's not criticizing the guy for being, being rich. He's criticizing the members of the church who are being partial to him. James not saying anything is wrong with wealth or, or fine clothes or anything like that. And in the language of that day, those fine clothes could uh, be associated with um, like a, a Roman toga that was dressed, that was worn by those who were kind of, you know, governing officials. 
And so if you could imagine, it's kind of like this. This guy is Richie Rich, and he shows up at church that day, and he's probably, you know, a political campaign guy, and he's coming in to, to be seen. And then the second guy who shows up at the same church on the same day is this pauper, this really poor guy, this destitute, shabby guy. We'll, we'll call him Polly Poor Boy or something like that. He comes in with holes in his jeans, not because he paid extra for them. He earned his holes, okay? No shoes. He comes in, his hair's unkempt. Pretty rough kind of looking socially we would think of. And this particular church still used ushers for seating purposes. And so this usher has to make a decision. Where's he going to sit Polly now? Now, this same usher minutes earlier had sat Richie Rich, and he had brought him down to the very front seat where he could have the best seat, but probably more about bringing him down front so everybody knew who was at church today. This guy came to our church. Everybody needs to to see it. We want to take care of, of him. And now, same usher has Pauly. And he says to Polly, he kind of looks around and he says, Polly, why don't you just go lean up against that lamp over there? Just sit in the corner. Or better yet, Polly, just kind of sit down here at my feet. It, it literally says, under my footstool, is what the original language says there. Just, just sit under my footstool. It was an ultimate, ultimate, reckless, careless, no care involved statement to this man. It was a put down. And after painting this really provocative word picture, James begins to point out the problem, this plaguing problem that we all battle in partiality. It's the truth about all of us. It's an issue we all battle at one space or another that we all need reminding of. And James is trying to tell us that we need to see how problematic this is for those of us who follow Jesus. So he quickly, James quickly begins pointing out three destructive aspects of our, of our partiality. So in, uh, the first thing that James points out is that partiality itself is unchristian. If you want to be like Jesus, you're trying to grow in Christ's likeness, you can't play favorites. This is, he starts out right in verse 1, my brother showed no partiality as you build, um, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus. Faith and favoritism, faith and partiality, they're incompatible. And here's why. Because Jesus' intent for the church is that we would see ourselves as family. That we would see ourselves as As family. And that word that's translated favoritism or partiality here in James chapter 2, it's only used four times in all of Scripture. And every other time that it's used, it's actually used of God. And it says, God doesn't do this. This is not who our Father in heaven is. He doesn't show partiality. Romans chapter 2 verse 11. For God shows no partiality. You read the Gospels. Jesus treated everyone with dignity. And friends, this can get so deeply entrenched in us that we don't even recognize that it's still lingering in us. And let let me show you how much. So, the great apostle Paul, who Acts chapter 2 records that the day the Holy Spirit filled him, and he spoke in, in languages, and he told the gospel story. And so it was so powerful that day, the message, that thousands of people came to saving knowledge of Jesus, and the church was born. We get over to Acts chapter 10, and God now needs, those, those were mostly Jewish people. God now needs uh, Peter to go speak a word to the Gentiles because God has decided that he's not showing favorites. He's not playing favorites with Jews. He he loves Gentiles too. And so he's going to send Peter. But before he can send Peter, God has to have an intervention in Peter's life. He has to haul him up onto a roof, and he's got to give him a vision that breaks the heart of Peter and breaks this partiality in his soul so that he could send Peter to Cornelius' house. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 10. But at the end of that great intervention, 
This is what Peter says. It says, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God loves everybody. He loves every person he's ever created. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. There's one place in the world where there shouldn't be any discrimination, no partiality. It should be in the church of Jesus. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that the Lord came to the prophet Samuel and he said this. They were, they were looking for a new king. And he said to, to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. Notice this next verse. Some of y'all need to pay special Or the height of his stature. <laughs> Maybe talking to you here. I don't know. For the Lord, it goes on. Sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Folks, there's discrimination everywhere in this world, but this ought to be a place where it doesn't happen. No matter what your background is, no matter what you've done or where you've come from, you could know that you would certainly be welcome in the house of God all the time. Partiality is unchristian. It's not like Jesus. Secondly, Partiality doesn't even make sense. It's unreasonable. It's unchristian and it's unreasonable. It's not, it has no logic. It doesn't make sense. Look at, look at starting in verse 5. James writes, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Just, again, hang that verse up, these verses up here for just a minute. James is not saying, again, that it's good to be poor. Or bad to be rich. He's not saying that only the poor will be saved. He, you know, I, I, I hope you're grateful for that. I'm very grateful, you know, that God didn't check my bank account numbered before he invited me into his kingdom. That we're not judged on that. Wealth, wealth, you know, in itself doesn't deserve special treatment. Who knows? Maybe, maybe the person got it dishonestly or by crushing others to get to it. In God's sight, your value is not based upon the valuables that you own. There's a big difference, just a huge difference. Does the kind of vehicle you drive create an air of superiority in your mind? Or does it have the opposite effect for you, that you feel less than because of what you drive? Friends, don't let what you drive drive you in, in any way, in, in who you are. You know, I, I, don't, I don't get my strokes from anyone based upon the clothes that I wear. And some of you are saying, yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that, Joe. You know, you can talk all you want. But I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't dress for the purpose to, to impress anybody. See, I don't, I don't confuse my self-worth with it. James is saying it's illogical, it's unreasonable to think that way about others. It, it says God chooses the poor. He doesn't expect people to be wealthy, to be saved. And on top of this, James says the rich could care less about you. Now, again, remember the church mostly was made up of the poor at this time when James was writing. And he's kind of saying, why do you worry about catering to them? Look, look at what he says. Verse 6, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? See, in, in New Testament times, the, the noble Romans were the ones that were feeding the Christians the lions. And James says it, it just doesn't make any sense, you know, to, to try to hold up the upper crust or something. You, you know what upper crust is, don't you? It's just a few crumbs held together by dough. I know it's lame. Think about it, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't judge people based upon their wealth, their outward appearance, anything like this. He, he's, he's saying that in that day, they were the ones who were insulting Christ. 
insulting Christians, throwing them to the lions. James is saying, why are you worried about impressing them? Why would you do that? Because they don't care anything about you. You know, we're still kind of like that. We're still folks who would like to get close to celebrities. You know why? Because we hope they can do something for us. We hope that something might rub off on us if we could rub shoulders with them. You know, one of the things that I have learned and, and, and believe firmly in is you don't have to know the key man or key woman in any organization as long as you know the one who holds all the keys because he's the one who can unlock any door that he wants you to walk through. The, the Lord God Almighty can, can do that. And James says, don't show favoritism. Don't get caught up in that. It's unchristian, but it's just illogical. It makes, it makes no sense. And then James gives us a third reason why partiality is such a problem. It's because it's unloving. It's just unloving. Look at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, now you're doing right. Why do you think James calls this the royal law? We calls it this because if we obeyed it, we really wouldn't need the rest. This is like the, the crowning jewel of all God's law. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul writes to the church of Galatia, big region of, of Asia in that day. He says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, if I'm playing favorites, I'm, I'm acting in a non-loving way. And the Bible teaches that how we relate to each other actually can demonstrate to my own soul how much I love God, how I actually love the Lord. Look at 1 John chapter 4. The Apostle John writes these words. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a what? A liar. He's a lying liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. See, how I love my brothers and sisters in Christ can show me how the gospel is impacting me. It can show me if it is impacting me. But partiality and favoritism shows the opposite. It shows that I'm not, I'm not getting the gospel. I'm not getting transformed by it. I'm not, I'm not expressing. I'm, I'm living in an unloving manner. And we all need to grow. All of us need to grow in learning how to love more unconditionally. Because we don't know how naturally. We naturally get here knowing how to show partiality and favoritism. Look at verse 9, James 2. But... If you show, show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. James kind of asking, how many laws do you have to break to become a lawbreaker? Just one. Think of a chain that, you know, may hold you in captivity. How many links on that chain do you have to break to break the whole chain? Just one, just, just one link, you know? Have you ever been in a store, like maybe a, a, a pottery store or a store where they sell, you know, like fine china or crystal, and ever seen a sign that says something like this? You break it, you bought it. Seen that? Well, they don't care whether you break just a little chip off or whether you shatter it into a million pieces. You break it, you bought it. And James is saying favoritism so often in our minds becomes this small little sin. And God says we don't know how destructive one small little sin really is. How destructive it can be. How much brokenness it actually brings. And so he's saying you've got to be careful here. This is serious business. And then James gives us what feels like kind of a really, really weird example 
It's just, it sounds really kind of strange to our ears. Uh, verse 11, for he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, here's, here's how I want to unpack that for just a second. I think he's trying to illustrate something about what it looks like for us to be unloving. And it would be kind of like if I came in your house and said, hey, you know, I, I respect you a whole lot. And the way that I'm going to prove that I really respect you and that I love you is I just want you to know I am not going to commit adultery with your wife. But if you tick me off, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to ruin your reputation. I'm going to destroy you publicly. I'm going to cancel you out. And that's kind of what's going on here. You know, and and we kind of say, how absurd that would be to walk into somebody's house and say something like, how ridiculous it would be to do something like that. And so it is, is with us, you know, to say, well, I don't, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I, I don't chew, don't run with girls who do. But, yeah, I, I kind of I got a, a mindset about a certain group of people. God says it's all the same. It all matters. It's all important. Look at verses 12 and 13. James writes and says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, what he's saying here is love treats all people with mercy. Love does what God has done for you if you know Jesus. Love gives you what you need, not what you deserve. That's what mercy is. And I think James is probably thinking of his big brother's words here when in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So James has shown us this big plaguing problems with partiality. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's it's unloving. Don't discriminate. Don't, Don't be a snob towards others. And so the big question of the day is, how are you treating other people? And since we all battle this, God's word gives us some practical solutions. And James, James hit it in verse, in, in verse 8 when he told us, I want you to treat all people right. He leaves us with this practical prescription to treat all people right. And so we circle back to the beginning. There's this great book, I read it years ago, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits of highly effective people is they begin with the end in mind. That's what James did uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2 when he just simply came out and said, you must never treat people in different ways. James 2 verse 1. Never do that. And this is kind of like the first big commitment, I believe, that a church needs to make if we want to grow to become like the most loving church in the low country, to become the kind of church that the lost would love to be a part of. And, and Scripture gives us some real clear direction on that, and I want to run through these really quickly, what we can actually practically do to be more loving and less partial in our movement towards anyone. First of all, we need to accept everyone. Have you ever attended a church and you walked out feeling snubbed? Walked out feeling like it was cold fish. You know, it was just, it was not warm and, and, and not welcoming. Felt like they thought they got it and you don't. You know, it, just a place where it felt like they had a hard time accepting other people. Well, one of the reasons we do that sometimes is because we have bought a lie of distortion that Satan has planted in our minds that there is no difference between acceptance and approval. And so if we see somebody who's caught in sin, we don't accept them because we think it would say, I'm approving of their behavior, that I'm approving of their lifestyle. Friends, they may be doing something totally contrary to the word of God, but we can accept them as people created in the image of God, loved by God, while not approving of the sin in which they're engaged. 
Romans 15, 7 tells us, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. See, God, God will get great glory when we accept people where they are. That's the starting place is acceptance. And, and at this church, we have tried for years to create an attitude uh, of acceptance because we believe that old saying that the church is not a hospital for sinners or it is a hospital for sinners and not a trophy case for saints. That's, that's what it is. We have said for years around here that River Bluff Church is a no perfect people zone. That perfect people just will not fit in here because we're, we're just a group of ordinary imperfect people whose leader's perfect. He, he's the perfect one. And we're grateful. We just gather because we're so grateful for everything he's done for us. Like transferring us from death to life. Giving us new life in Jesus. Making us children of God. Moving us from simply being a creation of God to a child of God. There's a huge difference between the two of those. So, if you've been visiting with us, maybe you're still considering yourself, you know, visiting. your, your church shopping like some people do. If you're looking for the perfect church, as John Ortbrook said, you turn down the wrong aisle today, baby. You just turn down the wrong aisle because everybody here has a tag that says irregular, except as is. And that's what we try to do. We try to accept everyone as is, accepting one another as Christ accepted us because this is a church uh, Gabby was talking about this earlier. We're simply a church trying to grow in the grace of our Lord. Because we're not, we're not there yet. And so it doesn't matter where you've been or who you've been with or what you've done. If you want to grow to be like Jesus, you can find a home here. You, you just can. You'll be accepted because it's, it's the key. I think one of the things that we're going to see when we, when we get to heaven um, on the day of the rapture and Jesus comes to get us all. I think there are some people that are going to have culture shock when they get to heaven because they're going to be overwhelmed by some people they didn't think should be there. You know, I, I, think, I think there's going to be some of that because they didn't learn to accept everyone. But the scripture, it doesn't stop just at acceptance. The Bible teaches that we should learn to appreciate everyone as well. Appreciate everyone. This goes further than acceptance. Look at Philippians chapter 2. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's the attitude Jesus had. He, he came to serve. He, he appreciated everyone that he, he encountered. Now, here's, here's what that looks like. You need to find something that you can like in everyone. You need to accept them, but then you need to look for something that you can like about somebody and tell them what that is. Now, I will be the first to say that for some people, you're going to have to be creative. For some people, you may have to linger longer to find something that, that, that you can, can like. But we need to learn to value them for their uniqueness. You know, one of the reasons that people like Baskin-Robbins so much is because it has more than one flavor. What, what, how many did they say they got? 30, 31? 31 flavors. You know, that's why. What would it be like if a church was everybody acted looked and talked like you it'd be boring see god god loves diversity there's beauty in diversity so we need to learn to not just accept but appreciate the uniqueness of everyone that god created wonderfully made in his image third we need to affirm everyone we need to affirm everyone everybody needs a boost up everybody needs a word of encouragement 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, therefore, and this is in the Amplified Translation, therefore, encourage, admonish, exhort one another, and edify, and strengthen, and build up one another. I, I think if, if Paul had been writing in, in our day, he'd say, cheer on, celebrate, affirm everyone. Friends, when people stumble, 
We're quick to criticize. What we need to be quick to do is sympathize. Because we all stumble. Every, every last one of us. We need to encourage, not complain or condemn. And, and you know one of the great ways you can encourage somebody, very simple, it'll cost you nothing. Just, just smile at them. Just smile. Sometimes when I'm up here talking and I make eye contact with some of you, some of you smile at me. Some of you don't. You need to work on that. You know, you can encourage by simply smiling at, at, at folks. It makes such a huge difference. And we've said this before and we'll keep saying it. The ministry of greeting is something we all need to be engaged in. Because we only have one chance to make a first impression with people who walk in these doors. So we need to cover this campus with the joy that we have in our Lord Jesus. So that people know that we love him and know that we're loved by him. And we need to tell our faces that that's true. You know? Give, give a handshake or a fist bump or a high five and smile while you're doing it. See... That's what God is saying to us in his word through, through Jesus' little brother, James. That, that a church that will accept and appreciate and affirm people will be a church that God will bless. It will be a church that will make a difference in a place like the low country. But it requires all of us to put forth an effort there. That everybody needs to contribute to that. And the truth is, everybody contributes to it. Positively or negatively? How are you doing at that? Let me ask that question another way. Would a visitor come back to River Bluff simply because they met you and you alone? That's the question. You know? Or would they feel like you had partial thoughts for them? Or you didn't have good thoughts uh, about them you know maybe because you have expectations that they would act like a believer before they become a believer see one of the things that love always does love always draws outsiders inside that's what love does it always moves people that way and i just believe with my whole heart that a church that is living that out powerfully where we have chosen to repent of the places where partiality and prejudices and favoritism have space in our hearts, that we would repent and walk away. I believe, I believe a church like that is a church that people in the low country would love. I believe it's a church where the Spirit of God could have space to awaken something new. I mean, talk about climate change. What would it look like to create a climate of acceptance of appreciation, of affirmation, and, and love. You know, Jesus said in John 13, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way that you love one another. It'll show up. It'll make a difference. See, Jesus breaks down all those barriers. He wants to do that. We, you've heard it said before that the ground's level at the foot of the cross, it's not a cliche. It's true. It's, it's real. We're all equal in the sight of God, you know? And he wants everyone to know him through faith in his son. Galatians chapter 3 tells us this, for now we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, Men are even merely men or women, but we are all the same. We are Christians. We are one in Christ Jesus. We're all the same. There's not supposed to be distinctions among us. We're all the same in Christ. Are we? Do we see each other that way? Let's pray. Lord, we come. We come having been touched by your word 
having your word wash over us in such a way that our hearts get reminded and once again challenged that we so easily slip into sins of favoritism and partiality and judgment and prejudice that it's so easy in this world, God. And so we come being reminded of that and being reminded that we are the bearers of hope, the hope of the gospel and how we can so easily shut down people finding that hope by not accepting them or appreciating them or affirming them. And so we come again as your people, God. We, we come saying, Lord, you can have all of us on this journey that you have to redeem a lost world. You can have it all, Lord. We, we will walk away from our prideful prejudice the way that we show partiality, the way we think, God, that way, the way our minds get shaped and formed. So, Lord, we come to repent. We confess it's true about us, true about me. And so we come. And, and maybe, maybe you're one who's here today and for the very first time, you've heard that God doesn't play favorites, that the God of all creation looks at you like he looks at everyone else and that we're all the same that we're all desperately in need of a savior and so Jesus came for you God sent his only begotten son for you too so that you could have everlasting life if you would but put your trust in him and call on his name from a heart that says I've tried it my own way and I've made a mess of it and so God I'm turning to you because I want to worship a God who loves everyone, who will accept me as I am. And I want to I find a community like that. I want to be in a place, a space in the world where that could be true. And I want to help that grow. And maybe right where you're at, you could just pray, God, that's what I want. But most of us, what we need to do, we've, we've prayed that prayer. We've put our trust in Jesus. But time is gone. faith and favoritism, find places and spaces in our heart that does not live accurately with our faith in Jesus. And God's calling us out on that today. And he's challenging us to walk away from that so that he can have a place in the low country where people will be fully accepted, fully loved, fully known, fully trusted and loved. And the question is, do each of us want to be that person building that kind of community? Because it's going to take us being all in. we got to say, you can have it all, Lord. You can have it all. So, God, we come. We come recommitting ourselves today to build your kingdom according to your word and your will and your ways. It's in your name.